Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm your host, John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. Each week, we bring you a show that helps you build a better relationship with your horse. We talk to many different horse people, and we share our horsemanship journey. On today's show, we're speaking with Stephen Peters and Maddie Butcher. Maddie is the director of several equine websites, including Best Horse Practices. Stephen Peters is a neuroscientist, and he co-authored the book Evidence-Based Horsemanship with Martin Black. Evidence-Based Horsemanship deals with how a horse thinks, and Stephen believes you can improve your horse's performance if you know exactly what he needs to learn. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I've been asked to speak to a lot of racetracks and they've discovered that a relaxed horse is a faster horse. They're not as tense. You know, they stride out longer. Uh, They're not all bunched up. Mm -hmm. And there are horses that can go and just get through those barrels but come back and they're not leaping all over and staring off into space and have wide-eyed with their head way above the withers. Maddie and Steve together are involved in the Best Horse Practices Summit that's being held in Durango, Colorado. Yes, that's occurring on October 8th through 10th, and we'll give you all those details in the interview coming up. But first, we wanted to tell you a little bit about what's been going on with our horses. We met some friends through a riding club up in Northern California, Michael and Cynthia, and they were traveling through town, and they called us ahead of time and asked if they could go riding with us. And we thought that would be wonderful fun. Yes, and so because we have different riding areas and they're bringing their horses through, uh, we found a place for them to, to stash their horses, and they came down, and we had a nice little ride out on the Kern River. So we went for a ride along the river with Michael and Cynthia and had a wonderful time. We took them to one of our favorite places for lunch, rode there, had some lunch, and then rode back. It was great riding with somebody different, and uh, we got to show off the area that we got to ride in. Their horses did great. They were at the beginning of, gosh, what was it, Renee, a 10-day trip? Right, right. They were going to Flagstaff and then to... Utah or Colorado? Colorado. They were going to Colorado. Oh, you know what? They were going to Pocosa Springs, Colorado. That's right. Yeah. And then we got to follow their their journey as they went on their vacation. So it was really great fun. And, you know, that brings up a good point. If there's a riding club in your area, uh, they belong to one. The one in Northern California is called Golden State Horsemanship. And they get together and they have regular rides in in their area, and even regular training sessions, too. And they're very active. They do a lot of different things. And I would just say that it's also great for us to ride with new horses. I think anytime you can go out on a trail with a different group, different people, different horses, it's always a great learning experience. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun getting to see them again. It was, and everybody did great and had fun. And we're hopeful that in August we'll go up and get to ride in there favorite spots. Some of their territory. Yeah, take our horses on the road. And now let's get to the interview with Maddie Butcher and Stephen Peters about the Best Horse Practices Summit and learn more about evidence-based horsemanship. Welcome to the Woe Podcast. Today we're speaking with Dr. Steve Peters and Maddie Butcher. Maddie is the director of the Best Horse Practices Summit and Dr. Steve Peters is co-author of 
evidence-based horsemanship with Martin Black. He's also a board member of Best Horse Practices Summit as well. And together, they are working on a new website called horsehead.info, which is brain science to improve your horsework. Welcome to the show, Steve and Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. Maddie, can you tell us a little bit about what horsehead.info is and how the brain science of a horse can can actually improve our horsemanship? Yeah, so I worked with Steve and Martin on putting the manuscript together for evidence-based horsemanship. And horsehead is the realization that one, you know, brain science is something that people really dig right now. And it, it a lot of people feel that if you can get to the brain science of something, you're kind of getting to the heart of the matter. And Steve and I just felt that Horsehead was a great chance to give some straight talk to people on horse behavior on a neurological level. And of course, Steve is the expert there, and I am charged with translating it into something that us riders and owners can understand. Our average people can understand. Steve, you're actually a neuroscientist. Yes. And uh, so I deal mostly with, with people. But what drove me towards studying the neurology of the horse was really uh, a lot of misinformation. When I, I tried to discover new ways of working with my horse, I would hear all kinds of crazy things that neurologically just wouldn't be possible. And can you give us an example? Sure. When people said, oh, my horse has two brains, Mr. Lefty and Mr. Righty. Mm -hmm. So it took about 10 seconds of a horse brain dissection to see how well integrated both sections of the brain actually are. Or somebody who says, well, I know why my horse acts this way. They're a, they're a introverted Sagittarius. Well, <laughs> I knew that those involved areas of the horse's brain that they didn't have. I think how we get in trouble is thinking that horses have brains that are human brains, and, and that's a disservice to the horse and the, the trainer. And how long have you had experience with horses, Steve? Oh, gosh. Uh, I grew up in that era. I'm almost 60 years old. So I grew up in that area where all kinds of Westerns were on TV, etc. So I've always tried to be around uh, uh, horses. But I would say in about the last oh, 20 years, I've I've really become more involved. Maddie and I, between us, have seven equids, mm -hmm. including a mule and a, and a burrow, every chance I get, that is my therapy, working with horses and riding horses. And had you owned them for a considerable amount of time before you started looking at, uh, well, you know, I'm a brain scientist, maybe I should look at the horse's brain? Or did was that always part of your interest? You know, I, I had a general idea. And when I... I uh, ran into Martin Black, who, who had, his family had been raising horses for five generations. Yes. So he's seen thousands of, of horses. And we just ran some ideas by each other. And he said, you know what? Really, what you're saying is exactly what I see, but not really the way people go about training their horses. So it was both of us being sort of disillusioned with the myths that were out there. Then we decided to apply this knowledge, which was scientific-based, empirical evidence, to create sort of a horse science, a horse brain science. Right. Now, and 
don't take this the wrong way, but I've seen, uh, and I actually interviewed Martin Black for the show, and I've seen him a couple of times. And he's a true horseman and, a, and like you said, fifth generation cowboy, doesn't talk much, doesn't really describe himself, uh, describe his techniques in great detail. And you're a scientist and you you can talk very easily about seven stories over my head, which is why I'm so happy Maddie's along to translate for us. And Maddie, as part of Best Horse Practices, uh, what do you find that most people might be lacking in their horsemanship? I think a, a lot of uh, humans get hung up on the very things that make us human, which is to say uh, the more complicated emotions and agendas and strategizing. And I think the more we work with horses, the more we dismiss a lot of a lot of that. And, and of course, good horsemen dismiss it out of you know, straight, straight away. But novice horse people are really overwhelmed in the marketing world by the warm and fuzzies and the relationship building of horsemanship. And I don't, I don't dismiss that. I think, uh, I mean, I have relationships with all my horses, but it's on, it's on an animal human level. It's not on a level that I think a lot of uh, horse Owners and riders, especially women, fall prey to. Is it? Is that, yeah, it does. Is that more of a? I think they call it anthropomorphizing. Is that the right word? Sure. And I think that a lot of people that have animals are looking for a connection. I think it's my job as a publisher and a reporter to say, go ahead and have a relationship, but uh, don't think that that relationship is is the same for the horse. <laughs> the horse may love you, but it loves you because you supply it with food and water and good care. Right. And they they while they are warm and fuzzy animals, they're not they're not a puppy dog. And you right. don't you don't have that same relationship with your horse as you may have with a dog or or a cat. And like Steve, I I think that uh, people really do themselves and the horse a disservice by making our partnership, the horse-human partnership, something that it isn't. Uh, yeah, they're trying. Are they trying to force a, a square peg into a round hole? Is that? It? I think so. In some cases, definitely. You know, I think that sometimes we uh, we love them to death, so we think we live in a house. Let's build them a stall. We, we uh, need jackets when it gets cold. Let's put a blanket on them. But, you know, the research has borne out that all of those things are pretty disruptive to a horse. They're herd animals. The best baseline seems to be as close as we can get to an environment in the wild where they can move together, where they can eat grass and hay, et cetera. And so uh, oftentimes what we think is good for us is good for them. And Sometimes that's uh, pretty damaging to them, actually. As this is a, a, a kind of a major shift in philosophy for a lot of the, the people that are new to horsemanship in the last 10 years, uh, there's been great growth in, in the horse industry, particularly of women owners that are first-time horse buyers past the age of, I think, 40. What would be the process for somebody in that position to go about learning the te techniques of evidence-based horsemanship? 
Well, I think that understanding that the horse doesn't have this big frontal lobe, so they're not trying to get one over on us. They're not having romantic relationships with us. They're a motor sensory creature. Mm -hmm. So understanding how the horse senses things and moves and what type of thinking they can do is pretty empowering because then you can start setting up learning situations that are appropriate for their brains and you can actually rewire those brains Mm -hmm. and you can make your horse smarter and conversely make your horse dumber putting them in adverse situations. Right. So you guys are, both Steve and Maddie, you're trying to promote this, fair to say this is kind of revolutionary thought. I mean, is are you guys kind of swimming upstream as as sentiment goes about these theories? I don't want to hog the, the microphone, but I think we are reaching a, a critical mass. I think things that Temple Grandin had to say about, you know, low-stress cattle handling, I think things that Tom Dorrance had to say but really didn't have a language for, things that Ray Hunt did that people could see. I think all of this has just been moving along and gaining momentum. So I I believe this really is a movement. You know, it does go against the charismatic, big ego, uh, expert opinion because the science doesn't seem to back that, that up. So there's big business kind of versus this more scientific, based way of thinking. Now, but you mentioned Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt. They've spawned the natural horsemanship industry. Do you feel that's gone in the wrong direction? No, actually, I would say things to Martin, like, you know, your horse is not really in the right neurochemical state here to do what you're asking. Let's just take a break and let your horse graze a little bit. He said, you know what? Tom used to tell me that. And Hmm. I knew that Horses could reset their nervous system. They have this thing called homeostasis that they're most comfortable in. So you could bring them from high levels in their nervous system down to lower levels. And once they sort of reset, they're easier to work with. What Martin said to me is, you know, Tom used to do these things, but he couldn't explain it. He didn't have the language for it. Uh. So we realized that that Tom would have been a, a wonderful behavioral horse neurologist. He just didn't have the the language to explain what he was seeing and observing, which was really, in many ways, spot on. You know, uh, last year or so, I wrote a a column um, titled The Death of Natural Horsemanship. And in a way, that's a good thing. Natural horsemanship is, is a term now that has become so commonplace, it's beginning to lose meaning. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's good is because there's there's a lot of people practicing what we think of as natural horsemanship. Essentially, that is embracing the concept of pressure and release and embracing what cognitive behaviorists know as negative reinforcement. And if people want to call it natural horsemanship, that's fine. If they want to call it uh, working with pressure and release, that's fine. If people want to um, be more sophisticated and talk in terms of cognitive behavioral theory, then that's fine too, as long as the horse's welfare is held to a high standard. Right. So you've set up the Best Horse Practices Summit, which is a gathering of some very knowledgeable people in the horse business so that you can expand and share these ideas. 
and that's happening October 8th through 10th in Durango, Colorado. Tell us a little bit about this summit, who it's for, and what kind of information you're going to be providing. I tell people, think TED Talks for horse people. <laughs> Great. Which say um, are eliminating what I saw in the horse world as a lot of the fluff and, and nonsense and elements of that world and that industry that aren't helpful to the horse. And we're trying to bring a conference to to the horse world that is, that is essentially stripped of all the nonsense and just bringing, you know, it's the horse, it's the conference your horse would, would want you to attend. And once you have that as your mission, it's, it becomes real easy to think about who would be presenting if, if the horse had a choice of who was presenting. So that was where we started. I've, I look at the list. You've got Martin Black, uh, Warwick Schiller, who's a very well-known trainer. Both of those guys have been on the show. And, and then several others. It, can you give us an idea of what the topics these presenters may be talking about? We have divided the days. It's two and a half days. Um, mm -hmm. And we've divided them roughly in, in half with academic presentations entirely in the morning and arena presentations in the afternoon. As just a, a human that tries to be healthy, I tend to think that sitting all day is dreadful. So <laughs> I agree. That people um, get up and they mill around and we'll go up to the arena. And uh, that's where Warwick and Jim Thomas, who runs Barty Horsemanship in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, he's coming out to present the academic presentations. Wendy Williams is a best-selling author and will speak to the development of horses since they've been domesticated and how they've evolved. Dr. Bob Bowker is from Michigan State, and he founded the, uh, now I'm going to misstate his title, but uh, basically a, a lab at, at MSU dedicated to equine hooves. He's turned his attention, like a lot of scientists have, to fascia, so he will be speaking to hoof and fascia research. And Gerd Hirschman is a, it will speak to biomechanics. He wrote a very well-known book called Tug of War, and he has a new book out called Collection or Contortion. So he's, he's been railing against the dressage folks who are, are part of the whole hyperflexion roll cur debate in that world. Are you familiar with that, John? I'm not. Could you describe that? In a nutshell, Dr. Hirschman has quantified how when you ratchet down a horse's neck and essentially have its chin touching its chest, you do some serious skeletal, skeletal damage and muscular damage and long-lasting damage to, to those horses. And the Rolker debate and the hyper, you know, the campaign against um, that kind of horsemanship has impacted the highest levels of dressage. I can imagine, yes, because they've been doing that for hundreds of years. Right. So he is an accomplished rider as well as a researcher, and uh, we're just thrilled to have him. For trainers like Warwick, who I'm familiar with, and and Martin and and Jim Thomas, what qualifies them? Uh, qualifies probably not the best word, but what 
what about those horse trainers lends them to this to this type of philosophy? I mean, what do they do differently? That that is a great question, and I'm so glad you asked it because and and actually Martin uh, will be presenting with Steve uh, on the academic side, okay. and Warwick and Warwick Schiller and Jim Thomas will be manning the arena presentations and. The reason I was excited to recruit them to the summit is because I, I recognize that um, clinicians really have two challenges. One is to connect with the horse and the other is to connect with the human. And Warwick and Jim, in my mind, are two of the best in, in terms of translating what they see and what they're asking for to any number of people in the audience or riders in their clinics. You know, there's a lot of good horsemen out there who have a strong connection with any horse that that person encounters. But it's a real gift, I think, to be a good horseman and also communicate supremely with with an, a human audience. And, and that's right. why they are, they are front and center for our arena presentations. And Warwick is, uh, I've, seen his presentation and I've, I've talked to him on the show and, and he is excellent at that. He really relates to people so that they can kind of get the concept of what he's talking about. That was a right. good, that was a good get. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I think that these folks, sometimes if you're a presenter or a trainer, you know, people say, I want my horse done within X amount of days. Or if you start a horse, it's a two or three day show. And, it's just the confines of that, that program that make it look like that's how you should train your horse. And so a number of these guys have spoken out and said, you know, actually, if I were training my own horse, what I would do is slow down. And if, if I were earlier in my career and I could do make one change, it would be to slow down and become more observant about what I'm seeing in my horse. And so what I think people will be able to see is they're going to be able to take a look through the eyes of the trainer and, and see what, how to look at my horse, how to read my horse. So more in, instead of a training technique, I think it's going to be more, this is, these are signs that you need to be reading in your horse. Right. So I think that would be quite attractive to people that are, are just starting out, but even old pros who have just always done it this way because, well, we've always done it this way. Right. Well, like the dressage and the collection. That's a that's an excellent point. They've always done it that way, and they may not see anything wrong with it, but it may be causing some structural problems in the horses and shortening their careers. Absolutely. And I don't want people to I don't want people to get misled that oh, this is just all pure science because there's some science out there, such as somebody came up with the idea of a rainometer. So there'd be rains that would read the exact amount of pressure you're using. And if you kept that exact amount of pressure, then your horse would be fine. Well, as you know, there's weather changes. Horses are different each day. You know, there's so many variables out there. So this is science that's usable. You know, this is science that's been borne out by people who actually put it to, to use. So it's it's what works. And I think that brought Eclectic Horseman magazine on as a sponsor because they pretty much preach what these are things that that work that are empirically driven. And I, I just one last piece, few more participants, but we're going to have Randy Riemann and uh, Brian Newbert there as well as uh, Sherry King. 
Dr. Sherry King. So, Maddie, I don't know if you wanted to do say anything about those folks. Dr. Sherry King, she is a professor emeritus at Southern Illinois University, and she will speak to horse behavior, but she's really a great resource for all things horse. We're trying, we're right now in the stages of making the topics that these professionals speak on to be kind of a holistic package so that registrants can come away with a big, in not encyclopedic, but a big mouthful to chew on that is that that we'll, we will work to tie in one presentation to another. So Sherry is thankfully accommodating to speak on any number of topics. Mm-hmm. One one other thing I wanted to say about the conference that gets me excited is that all of our presenters are are really lifelong learners. And to a T, I mean, when I told Steve that uh, Dr. Bob Bowker was coming, he, he said, well, I'll be in the front row. I mean, the, these, are, and I know Warwick can't wait to see his fellow presenters. And so it's exciting when accomplished people in the horse world are just as engaged in the learning process as the registrants. I just think that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. Yes. It's fascinating to see that these guys who many common horsemen think, well, they've got to know it all. There are, they are still thirsty for more information on how they can do a better job. And I think that's, a, I'm, I'm very excited about that too. Well, we hope you, you come. We're working on it. It's, <laughs> a, it's in Durango, Colorado, and it's a, it's kind of a pull for us since, uh, since we're here in California. Tell us a, a little bit about, you're going to be in the historic Strader Hotel. Tell us a little bit about what, if people want to find out more about the Best Horse Practices Summit what they can expect and well the best source for information is besthorsepractices.com slash summit and right now the cost is a super affordable $325 if you sign up before August 1st you qualify to win a five-star wool felt pad which is a value of about $300 five-star equine products has been a generous sponsor with us and in that cost is included two meals a day at the Strader Theater with Ooh. food cooked from scratch, and as well as a special evening remembering the Dorrance legacy, which is with Brian Newbert and Randy Riemann. Um, that will be kind of a storytelling session as I see it, but, but with an eye on how the Dorrances really were doing best horse practices. It also includes a rider core fitness and workouts elective, as well as the day after the summit officially closes, there is an optional field trip to view a wild horse herd that's coming up as a model horse herd because they do PZP darting and have been able to avoid any roundups for the last several years. Awesome. And even though it's at the Strader Hotel, you don't have to stay at the Strader Hotel. So if you uh, do you have like accommodate a list of accommodations on the website where people can go and kind of check out where they may want to stay? You bet. There is a link to an accommodations page and I'm fairly easy to contact and there's contact buttons on on the website also. So any questions about transportation or accommodations or, uh, you know, 
late night snacks or early morning coffees, I'm I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. And if you've never been to Durango, it's a it's a classic old west town with turn of the century buildings, a narrow gauge railway. The Strader Hotel is a historic old hotel. It it really is a, a place to come for vacations. Not to mention it's close to Mesa Verde and a number of national parks. So there's uh, quite a lot to do if you're the only one in your family who appreciates horses. Uh, you can still bring the whole family and everyone can have a good time. I'm really excited that you've got you've got not only the classroom situation, but you've also got a way to go outside, see these trainers work out in an arena with real horses and put those techniques to work so that the, the horse owner, the registrant, can go home and start immediately working with their horse to see how these things work. I think so, too. One thing I, I neglected to add, some people might look at their calendar and say, well, that's weird. It's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday conference. We did that so that we figured that Durango isn't necessarily a, a hub for anyone. The Durango Cowboy Poetry Gathering is uh, immediately precedes the summit. So we hope that people will maybe take a week instead of two and a half days and come hang out at the Durango Cowboy Poetry Gathering and maybe do some sightseeing or trail riding and then, and then of course, attend the summit. That sounds awesome. And that, for those of us who won't, won't bring their horses from California, there's, there's trail riding available. Whenever you talk about trail riding, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, there sure is. We may even develop a, a page dedicated to, you know, how to get your trail riding fix while you're here. But there, there are local outfitters that can definitely hook you up. Well, that sounds good. And just because as we kind of wind this thing up, I w- I'd like to give some real advice to our listeners. I wonder, I've often wondered what my guests see as the main, um, for want of a better word, pain points of horse ownership. And what are the, the biggest things that people struggle with? And what would be some of the, a solution for that? I'm originally from Maine, and I saw a lot of bad practices on the East Coast, and it wasn't really, you know, people obviously are are not worse horse people on the East Coast, but it was just they're confined by the amount of space they have and sometimes the weather and and the conditions. Mm -hmm. So a pain point for me as, as a, if I were still in New England, would just be how to give the horse what it needs with my limited um, my limited land, my limited time. And that's a real, Steve and I have talked about that a lot because, you know, we'd all like to have our horses in a 200-acre pasture and we'd all like them getting 10 miles of exercise every day. And that's just, that's just not going to happen right. for most Steve? Well, I think uh, the, probably the number one thing is is how we perceive horse behavior. And typically the horse is just doing what it's capable of and being a horse. Now, if we take on the onus that, that we're the ones that are interfering, somehow the horse isn't understanding us, we're not communicating clearly, because most things are, are the problems are based on confusion and getting the horse too revved up in the nervous system. If we took a step back and said, okay, let's reevaluate this as it's not the, the horse's fault, and so the horse is not deserving of punishment, they really need me to help them get through this struggle. 
by better communication. And so I think instead of blaming yourself or blaming the horse, going back to how are these messages perceived between the two of us? And so that's pretty much the basis of the Best Horse Practices Summit is improving that human-horse relationship so you're actually on the same page. And what if you need, Steve, what if you need to get that horse amped up for a performance event, uh, either a barrel racing, perhaps a cutting event where horses need to have that high energy. Is that a bad thing? I'm really glad that you brought that up because I've been asked to speak to a lot of racetracks and they've discovered that a relaxed horse is a faster horse. They're not as tense. You know, they stride out longer. Uh, They're not all bunched up. And there are horses that can go and just get through those barrels, but come back and they're not leaping all over and staring off into space and have wide eyed with their head way above the withers. They know how to tune it up and tune it back. And I think Buck Brandman said it perfectly when he said, this is what I practice, tune it, turning them up, turning them down, turning them up, turning them down. So that eventually they're galloping but they're doing it in a relaxed fashion. And if you say, okay, let's go from a gallop to a lope, they just do it just almost automatically. Just because they're moving quickly doesn't mean they can't be relaxed in their nervous system. I talked to a stable owner in Australia who raised racing horses, and even though they were training very well, he had a major problem with colic. So those horses came off of their workout and they were so stressed that physically it was kind of eating them up. And then I, I read in the, the Horsemanship magazine how ulcers can be a big problem in many in many uh, horse disciplines as well. So yeah, keeping them relaxed probably not only makes their performance better, but also gives them a higher level of health too. We put an awful lot of stress on, on horses and the way we manage them. And that's kind of one of the the ideas of enlightening people on there is a different way. I think that one confusion point with horse owners, especially when working working cowboys, say, inter, intermingle with recreational riders, is that um, giving your horse a good experience is not, that's not a warm and fuzzy, I love my horse, I'm going to give him some pink ribbons and feed him horse treats. You know, you can tell if your horse is having a good experience if there's resentment, say, at competitions or resentment when you catch him or when you're saddling him up. And I think the proof is in the pudding when horses become super stressed out, say, during competitions. That that tells me that, yeah, he he can be faster if he is, as Steve said, more more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And finding that sweet spot between you know the the warm and fuzzy that we know is inappropriate and the stressing uh, horse especially a performance horse then we have that spot where the horse is happiest and that is probably going to be the fastest most successful horse and let me ask you one final question if my horse has been um, has been trained in not the most ideal way up to this point in his life, if I change my training practices, can I really make an effective change in my horse? Uh, you absolutely can. We just, we just wrote about you this horse head. Oh, is that right? You know, it's probably above and beyond, but in humans and in horses, 
dopamine in our systems are rewarding substances and all learning theory for humans is based on getting a dopamine reward. It's a, it's a chemical that rewards you. And so people learn to learn and then get pretty excited about it. And most of the things we write about are how to get your horse tapped into that system. So they're not saying, I love the barrels and they're running the barrels when you're not even there. They're getting dopamine reinforced pretty much when you let them loose uh-huh. to run those, those barrels. So yeah, you can tap into that system and change that learning and actually make that learning cement that down much more firmly in a, in a gentler way. Well, we're really looking forward to, to making it out to Durango October 8th through 10th for the Best Horse Practices Summit. Maddie, thank you and Stephen for joining us on the WOE podcast and sharing your thoughts about uh, evidence-based horsemanship. Thank you so much for having us, John. Appreciate it. That'll do it for this show. Thanks to Maddie Butcher and Dr. Stephen Peters for coming on the show and talking about the Best Horse Practices Summit and evidence-based horsemanship. You can find all the links in the show notes at woepodcast.com. We are laying the groundwork and hoping to attend the Best Horse Practices Summit in Durango, Colorado in October, and we would love to see you there. And remember, if you register before August 1st, you can save some money and you'll be entered into a drawing for a free prize. So check it out at besthorsepractices.com. And if you love the show and would like to help support it, become a patron of the show. Yes, Woe Podcast has been going on for five years now. We have over 150 episodes and we could really use your support. We've covered a large range of topics and feel we're presenting information to people that's interesting and diverse. That's right. And the easiest way to help is go to woepodcast.com and click on the Patreon button. There you'll find all the details, how you can support the show. Thanks. And it'd really be wonderful if you liked us on Facebook and followed us on Twitter. And you can find Woe Podcast on all podcast directories, including Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes. And you would really be helping the show if when you went to iTunes, you actually wrote a review. It really helps boost the show and the ratings and helps other people find it. And I'm thinking we might just read a couple of those reviews on the show. You'd make someone famous. Yeah. So tell us what you think about the show. Go to iTunes, rate the show. And we'll see what happens from there. <laughs> and you know what the best part is? If, if I've just recently discovered this. If you subscribe to the show, it just comes right to your phone. Automatic. As soon as it's <laughs> released, it's automatically on your it's phone. It's pretty wonderful. That's right. And so you can take us along wherever you go, whether you're cleaning the barn, riding your horse, or driving in the car. With or your... walking on a treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> and please stay in touch. Send an email to john at wopodcast.com. So thanks again for listening to the show and sharing this podcast with your friends. We really appreciate the support you give the Woe Podcast. And until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.
start again. I'll try and do it. I'll try and do better. 